the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. I have with me my co-host, Dean, uh, his child and lover his cup of coffee. Yeah. You're interrupting a good moment. <laughs> and uh, the boys from the Mind Muscle Project and also from Creature and many other things, I'm sure. So, Lockie mm. and Raf, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Very excited to be on. Long time uh, friends and I mm. guess, um, yeah, just, just passionate flex success advocates as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we met through our mutual business coach. Is that how we got in contact? No. No, it was actually uh, Nick, who I think you've had on your show, um, the chiropractor. Right, right, he right. was like, oh, you've got to get this massive bodybuilder that I treat his pecs um, every so often <laughs> on your show. And it was actually, it was a huge episode uh, for us. It was like yeah. really way back in the day on our podcast. We did it in person. It was the longest show we ever had on the My Muscle Project. It was like first time we broke two hours, mm. um, which was really, really cool. Uh, and it was like, yeah, it had, at the time, it was like the most popular episode we had done. Yeah, it was the first time I think the CrossFit audience, which was primarily our audience at the time, yeah. had, had heard about flexible dieting. And I think macros had probably entered the conversation, but how it applied to a diet or a nutrition protocol was completely unknown before. And yeah. especially because it was that real sort of uh, zone diet, paleo era. And Dean was like, cool, flexible dieting, like eat shitloads of carbs and like don't be afraid of foods and it was just blowing people's minds. Yeah. And I think for you guys, you can probably speak to it, probably brought you quite a bit of attention to the business as well. Yeah. Well, it definitely opened up a new demographic for us because we hadn't really touched the CrossFit world either. Um, but, yeah. but basically, I don't hope I'm not speaking on your behalf incorrectly. I love that Dean was able to get the word out about uh, a diet that aligned with science a little better. Um, and the performance side of things than, than keto was because mm. it's a it's a little bit culty and everyone does what everyone else is doing. So it was cool to help people find a better way. Yeah, at the time it was actually quite interesting because um, like I had probably tried to do the education on flexible dieting to the bodybuilding world via online, but online you can't really get context, right? You don't understand cadence of speech, the emotion attached to it, or anything like that. And then um. Yeah, we had just started our business and then I got thrust into the limelight by your podcast. Actually, we, I think Dean turned down a second podcast with you guys because we couldn't handle the heat that yeah. came from it. Yeah, after that. But the, the cool <laughs> yeah. thing was is that it was conversational. It went for a long time. And I think uh, the, the super cool thing was that CrossFit was quite receptive of the content that went out. Whereas typically my experience prior to that with bodybuilding was if I told people perhaps what they were doing wasn't the greatest thing that they could potentially do, they were like, yeah, you've never walked the walk. You're just some dude that doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't care. And they'd call me an asshole for calling them out. Whereas uh, it's a very different experience on your podcast, which is awesome. Hmm. Hey, before we get any deeper for listeners that don't know who you are, maybe those who live under a rock, <laughs> could you give yourselves an, uh, an introduction? What do you do uh, and why do you do it? Well, this voice is Raf. Uh, so I mean, Lockie and I have been in fitness for seven years now. Um, we, it wasn't how I started out. I was just a law student and we went rogue, went into fitness. Uh, we have run gyms for six years. We have run the podcast for five years. Um, and during the first half of that, we were 
pretty intense CrossFit competitors doing our best in that side of things. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, probably the the only thing I would add to that um, is obviously the start of my journey was a little bit different. I did um, quite I like I got got into weights. You got into it mainly for sports performance mm. for rugby, but I got into it for um, my insecurities. I was well, I guess we're both insecure, but I was particularly tall and skinny. And I so, was short and skinny. And so I was trying to add as much mass as possible, failing miserably. Uh, and honestly, I think a bit um, disheartened by the whole process in terms of the gym culture and just, I don't know, bodybuilding culture in general didn't really align with the stuff that I was looking for. So then when I did find CrossFit in 2011, it was, I did enjoy it a lot more because there's more camaraderie, more community. Um, there's more teamwork involved. And yeah, then obviously Raf and I met um, in 2012, 13 when we met. 12. 12. And then, yeah, we both realized that we wanted to start a business and the gym seemed like the easy avenue at the time. Everyone else was doing it. So we jumped in and yeah, we, we built three gyms together and a podcast as well. So it's been a fun journey. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, you guys used to be called CrossFit Creature and now you're Creature Fitness. Yeah. yeah. What was the reason yeah. that you word CrossFit out of your name? I think overall, our whole journey is we have moved away from CrossFit a lot. Um, I mean, at the time, we were just really passionate around the CrossFit training. So it made sense because we were giving our clients a pretty similar thing to what we were doing. Uh, but then as we, I guess, open our mind to more types of training, I mean, a lot of types of training we already knew, but we kind of forgotten about because we were so wrapped up in the CrossFit bubble. Um, we started to bring back into it and we didn't want to be compared or like pigeonholed into CrossFit style training. So we moved away from that um, with the gyms, with the name, which is really important, but then also with the content on the podcast as well. Um, you know, it's like bringing guys like you. If you just stick to CrossFit, you'd never speak to Dean because he's not paleo or whatever and, and you just miss out on, <laughs> on awesome information. Yeah. 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 That's actually why we had the word flexible dieting plastered all over our website and whatnot. We've actually moved away from that word as well because maybe people see the word CrossFit and they think, oh, those idiots that you know, that's all you do is kip. That's or, all you do, all you do is kip or get injured or they train like idiots or something like that. <laughs> and, and people seem to think that they know what flexible dieting is and it's a junk food diet and they kind of pigeonhole you into that. So we wanted to move away from pigeonholing as well. And yeah, yeah. man, even our name, because we are more than flexible dieting. Well, yeah, yeah. our name was uh, born out of the concept of flexible dieting being flex success, even though people think it's muscle flex, but I mean, kind of intertwined. Yeah. yeah we yeah. did the same thing. Hey, like, we probably came in balls to the wall on that because that's what we were involved in. And then we realized that there's obviously problems with pigeonholing yourself. And, yeah. uh, but we didn't have to pay someone $3,000 a year just to have to have the word yeah. flex in our business name. We, it's a funny story, funny anecdote. We did actually have to deal with the fucking post though from Lyle McDonald on one oh. of our posts. Now, for people who aren't familiar with Lyle McDonald, he's probably like one of the industry's smartest nutrition guys out there. And, and loopiest. Um, he also wrote the original book called A Guide to Flexible Dieting. And he wrote that back in the early 2000s before flexible dieting was a thing. And uh, great book. Everybody should read it. And we made a post and Inga posted on there at the time, something flexible dieting. He cracked the shit. He was like, you could at least fucking, you know, reference me. Reference me. And we're like, what yeah. for? And he's like, I coined flexible dieting. I'm like, fuck off, mate. Like, so we, had, <laughs> we, we, we had an issue with Lyle at one stage. But yeah. I, everyone has an issue with Lyle at some stage. So we didn't have to pay three grand. We had to deal with the wrath of Lyle McDonald. Yeah. <laughs> but is, is that the fee? $3,000 to have CrossFit in your gym name? Yeah, 3000 US. So we were up for uh, 12000 US a year. Oh, for each gym? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I thought it was just for naming rights. God damn. They're not, they're not dumb, bro. They're not dumb. Yeah. God damn. I got fired. <laughs> All right. So how come you guys start, if you're in, in the gym game, why the podcast? 
Good question. I think um, at the time we loved podcasts ourselves, like really early day podcasts. I was like downloading podcasts before there was the podcast app. Um, so we kind of bonded over a lot of like Joe Rogan episodes, weightlifting episodes. You know, at the time to get a lot of information, the stuff on the internet, and the magazines was like pretty average. And the podcast was like the hidden secrets from people that really know what they're talking about. And you hear it over hours. So it was like, I'm a sore as like the secret weapon. We'd come in be like, oh, this is like, this is what we should do in training. And put it on a podcast. So we love them personally. So we just started um, doing them for our gym members um, and for, you know, kind of friends and family that would listen. Uh, and it was an opportunity for us to, you know, get to speak to people that we normally wouldn't get to speak to. So we'd bring them in, bring them into the gym. Um, so it was really just a bit of fun. And I think um, going into something that we we're already really passionate about. Hmm, cool. I personally love your podcasts and get quite a lot out of them as a business owner, because I think for like a section of your podcast, you speak to gym owners, right? That's, that's who your audience is. And even though Dean and I don't own a gym, we have an online business that kind of aligns with fitness. And I get so much out of it. Actually today um, on the way to recording this podcast, I listened to one where you were talking about the difference between a demographic and a psychographic. And um, just to, to give a quick summary of that from my understanding is that a demographic, you're talking about a 25 year old that, you know, who's male and works in the city but gym owners um, or online coaches shouldn't be looking at the demographic because you're not talking about 25 year olds that like gaming that have nothing to do with fitness, right? You're talking to someone's worldview and that's how they think, right? They're the psychographic. So I wanted to know how you guys think your psychographic has changed um, over the years, either within CrossFit um, or just fitness generally. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, um, interpreted that correctly that is oh good it was the right interpretation <laughs> a plus um Thank i you. won't take all the credit that's actually um if you read seth godin's work he's really big on that seth godin is kind of like you know if you could only listen to one person on marketing advice i'd recommend seth godin and he always talks about that he talks about you know you want your product to appeal to a psychographic so you want to write down you know the, this person's well beliefs um the things they follow the things they believe in the things that they don't like the things they do like and so yeah, I guess for how ours has transformed over time, I think firstly, everyone's transforms over time. No, like no one's worldviews are stagnant, right? Unless they're, you know, maybe like in the middle of America and they only have like one news channel or something. So they're or really religious or something. <laughs> they're just super rigid. But, you know, people that generally are in like major capital cities, they're, they're pretty open-minded about certain things and relatively progressive, which is good. Uh, I think the betterment of humanity like kind of leans towards the left and, um, yeah, I think just for us, it's just the, the fitness journey has kind of been the core of how everything else has changed. And I think that um, how, like being so entrenched in CrossFit and then being able to have our beliefs change um, just speaks to always just having an open mind about things and never being so rigid in believing certain things. And we definitely were. There was definitely a point where I think CrossFit was so good at polarizing the rest of the industry. You know, it was like, oh, you know, you like your three by 10 and we do 21 15 9 and that's better and like you know you have structure and progression and like we have pure chaos and chaos is better because life <laughs> is chaotic and so these small sound bites of marketing they sound so true it sounds it makes so much sense but in reality that's not how it actually plays out and i think that both of us coming from um our tertiary education you know we have a lot of respect for science and when research and science is saying one thing uh and you know there's a lot of stuff coming out i against CrossFit, it's kind of hard to ignore. And so um, it's hard to kind of um, stay in one camp when science, which is kind of like our you know, objective truths that we have, 
start to say a certain thing. I think that just helps to break down some of these beliefs over time. And then, you know, when your entire world, which for us was CrossFit at the time, slowly gets um, broken down piece by piece, it makes you think, okay, what are the other things in my life? What are my beliefs about business? Or what are my beliefs about people and communication that I think are true that if I challenge these, maybe they're not true. Or maybe that book I read is wrong. Maybe that, that author isn't correct. Maybe I can have a different opinion to this book. And so I think just that whole process of staying open-minded and staying growth-minded um, is just something you just want to take towards everything in life. So try not to be too rigid on anything. Do you also moonlight as a philosopher? That was very insightful. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I love reading Stoic philosophy. Um, okay, so it's true. <laughs> but I wouldn't say I'm a philosopher, no. But look, maybe a later, maybe a later point in life, I might be able to... Um, Maybe maybe take up a philosophy degree mm. or something. Maybe right. a fifth episode of the week. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah just keep adding. I'd listen to that. Well, MMP philosophy. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. It's. It, I mean. Yeah. I like. I like thinking about the world in different ways. For sure. Mm. In regards to sort of like the person who's attracted to CrossFit, how would you say that has changed over the years? Well, I think this has been an evolution because the early days, you got all the early adopters into it, like any new thing, like really gung ho early adopters that is like, they want to be on the newest, craziest thing. And they were, you know, frothing on it. They were the ones in the Vivo, like barefoot, whatever, like your toes come out of the shoes. They're happy to be humiliated in public. Um, they were the people really jumping onto the battle. Like they didn't, they didn't care about the science. They didn't care about the extras. They didn't care about the recovery. You know, if you told them, hey, you have a rest day, it'd be like, well, what if the terrorists come on a rest day? What are, we, what are you going to do then? <laughs> um, it was like, that, that was, I think, the type of person that was really attracted to it. Uh, and now it's just like got a bit more mature. Um, and I think a lot of those type of people are actually over it. They're onto like the newest, greatest um, new thing in fitness. Uh, and people are like, what's really popular these days is much more like science stuff and longevity stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. How can you do this right? Um, like I think like Marcus Philly stuff is super popular and it's not really like crazy CrossFit workouts. It's kind of the reverse. Like it's kind of bringing stuff that's always been really good into the world. Um, I think the stuff that you guys do is really popular now. Counting macros, using the best stuff that you can, you know, whoop is really popular. Like, Hey, how can we get the best science and to help me do this? So I think it's evolved a bit to like a more, more mature person that does a more mature training program and still enjoys CrossFit. They so still want to bring it to that and compete, but just like bring the best, to CrossFit, do it in a more sustainable way um, and get the best results rather than just like, hey, whatever comes out on CrossFit.com is, is what I'm doing. It's yeah. definitely, definitely tough because different CrossFit gyms are still offering very different interpretations of CrossFit. So one person's experience of CrossFit and what they want can be very different just based on what gym they land at first. And so you could land at a gym that is very old school CrossFit mm. and it hasn't changed much in like the last 10 years. And that person will either fall in love with that process or they will absolutely hate it and say that, you know, mm. it was chaotic. It was scary. It's not what I was expecting. No one taught me anything correctly. I injured myself. Um, or you could get the opposite. It's like, wow, it's, it's really slow and progressive. And I did a lot of one-on-one -on -one training. It was more expensive than I thought, but I ended up doing it right. It's like, yeah, we have, oh, I haven't, I've never done like a, a Murph or a hero workout ever, but you know, I'm still sort of doing CrossFit. So it's hard because the, the, what people want and what they go seek they could both be saying CrossFit, but they could be completely different things. So it, it is hard, but definitely I think the crowd that wanted CrossFit for the fad version of CrossFit of like, it's the new thing is completely gone. And most people that come to us now for CrossFit, we find at Creature are people that their friends have had a good result mm. with the CrossFit methodology, whether it's completely different to ours or 
um, exactly the same. Um, it's definitely someone that, 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 that is, you know, seeing a good result with their friend and, and that's now the result they want, not because they want to try the latest and greatest new CrossFit thing. Yeah. Hmm. One Sounds thing, like a fad daughter of the fitness industry. It kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> I've always loved that CrossFitters uh, compared to any other kind of group of, of athletes that they're, they're always so willing to drop time and money into themselves and into the sport because CrossFit's not cheap, what, like 60 or $80 a week at least. And that's before yeah. supplements, before one-on-one, before Cairo, um, before any recovery stuff they're doing. And Dean and I have been invited many times to deliver like day workshops and whatnot. And uh, we never have a problem selling tickets. Like we always get bums on seats in CrossFit because everyone wants to learn and they're so eager, but we just don't really get the same response from, um, from any other like category, like bodybuilding or powerlifting, like still people want to learn, but I just don't get the same enthusiasm from them as I do in the CrossFit world. Yeah. I think, I think the demographic of individuals is very different there or the psychographic. Maybe, psychographic. I say. Um, in that, you know, like a bodybuilder is typically narcissistic. Think they know everything. They learn themselves. They want to apply to themselves. They don't want to talk to anybody they else. They could never learn from a little girl. Obviously. You know, subjectively. Yeah. They only listen to people that are larger than because they have the biggest brains <laughs> alongside their pecs. Um, you know, uh, whereas uh, somebody who's coming into a CrossFit gym, you would assume uh, looking for uh, like a group mentality, one in all in, compete against the next person like what are you doing what am i doing it just seems to be a a far better group of individuals that are willing to at least listen learn and compete Hmm. yeah probably not in brisbane though if you ever want to run an event in brisbane good luck yeah (laughs) brisbane people don't seem to want to drop a lot of cash on it talk about the different like mindsets between fitness professionals it seems to be that sydney and melbourne have a lot of competitive trainers and fitness uh, professionals out there that are willing to like Go to spend seminars. money to be better, right? Yeah. Cause they know they're competing against others that are doing the same in Brisbane. It's almost like, yeah, look, I'm happy to earn less. There's not that many good ones out there. I can just do my thing. I don't know. know what it is about. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's probably the pressure from their expenses, right? If you're mm. like, if, if you, if everything costs more in your life and your margins are thinner, then you're going to be like on the edge more. So you're going to be hustling harder. Whereas if you have more of, uh, you know, a comfort zone, you know, a bit more of a buffer, then you're probably not going to feel the need to push as hard. Whereas because everything in Sydney is so fucking expensive, like, yeah. like just rent and food and travel and all that sort of stuff. And people hear these fables of trainers, you know, charging $150 for 45 minutes. They think, okay, well, that's the shooting star. That's the gold standard. And so I think that just happens on a slightly more regressed level in Melbourne because obviously things aren't quite as expensive and the weather's not as good all year round. So people aren't thinking about their six pack all year, but yeah, in Sydney, it's absolutely bonkers at the moment because yeah. you do hear these, you know, legendary PTs that are charging so much money. And then obviously, you know, a big one was James Smith obviously came out of, of Bondi. And I think that he honestly inspired a lot of poms to start doing PT uh, <laughs> and make it in, in that world. And yeah, I've seen it. Like there are so, I reckon at the gym I'm at at the moment, I think there's like two Aussies. Uh, all the trainers have English accents. And so no. I do, I do really think he inspired like a kind of a new generation of kind of like migrant PTs. It's like, Hey, there's this cool job you can do. You can take yourself out of this terrible weather um, and this culture that only cares about eating shit food and drinking and move to this sunny kind of paradise. And like, you can be a PT, like that is the gold standard. You can be like a in-person PT, then an online PT. Like he showed people that pathway, right? Everyone looks to some sort of idol, 
people look to the Michael Jordans to be like, okay, this is how good you can be at basketball, you know? And I think for this small industry, he kind of is that guy because he's also not super jacked, right? He's not like shredded and like Unattainable. on steroids. He's like, super, yeah, exactly. He's like super relatable. He's just like swearing all the time. He's just like, yeah, fuck this cunt, fuck that cunt. And so people are like, oh yeah, you just be yourself. And he just calls people out. And I think for a lot of people, it was just like really refreshing. And yeah, they do feel like it's quite attainable. They don't feel like you have to be some Greek god men's fitness cover model to like be a successful PT, which is, is great for our industry. Yeah, mm. yeah. I love that. I did a post recently on um, females in the fitness industry and what they should look like because I think we all have pressures, males or females, but because sexuality is such a big thing for females, especially in fitness, as it's like a whole lot of crossover to pornography. Um, I, I was trying to bring home the message that like, you don't have to look like anything. You can look like, my conclusion was whatever the fuck you want, quote unquote. Um, and it's so true because a lot of people think like your body is your business card, but fuck that is a six pack is not a qualification. Mm-hmm. Like it, it might help you bring in some clients, but it's not, might not help you get the results or help with client retention or help get under, help the client understand how to keep those results long-term. Like, there's so much more than, than just how you look. Mm. Um, and if people out there are choosing their PT just based off how good their body is, then they may be in for a rude shock. Well, I mean, yeah. even though most people that look good look good because they are who they are, not necessarily because of what they do. Like if we're talking about like the elite level physiques, you look at people like, man, they probably walk around like that most of the time. I'm sure they have, you know, committed to a certain amount of chains and restraint and all that kind of stuff. But most people that look good, look good because of who they are, not because of what they do as much as what people. Are you talking about genetics? The G yeah, word. Like, we can well, use the G word. Oh, that's definitely a big play. <laughs> the, I don't, does that actually, um, do you find that in the CrossFit community though, that, that a physique is held on a pedestal for expected knowledge? Um, that's a good question. I think in any sort of, like they've done research on this where good looking people or people that are rated like good looking, like they get more promotions, like they basically earn more money, like all this sort of stuff. So I think there's just something about, you know, people that are genetically better looking, you know, they've got the space between their eyes is better and the length of their nose and all their proportions and stuff like that, which is completely genetic, right? Bone structure. Um, they probably just have more influence for whatever reason on a gen- like a really low level unconscious subconscious level to just influence people more by what they're saying. And um, I think though, as you know, you were saying your body is your business card. I think there's, I think the change that you've created in yourself um, is your business card. So like I saw a PT at the gym the other day and he's like really overweight, but I could tell he was obese. So I've, he's obviously gone from massive to like massive. lost heaps of weight. He might've lost 50 kilos, but he still is overweight. But I could tell that he, he'd lost heaps of weight because you could kind of tell like the skin was a bit saggy and like he had some muscle in his shoulders and stuff, but he still had like the really big legs and stuff like that. And so I think that he has, you know, shown like if he shows people the results that he's gotten himself, I reckon that's more the business card rather than a guy who's like, hey, I was born with a six pack and jacked and good looking and I'm still exactly the same as I was. It's like, it didn't matter what I did in between. I'm still looking exactly the same. There's no change there. So I feel like, that isn't as that's not really a business card compared to someone like you know just speaking from our experiences raf and i who were able to get this strong at this age you know and able to put on this much muscle in this period of time you know versus yeah the guys that just always rocked up jacked and good looking it's like you didn't do anything to earn that 
Stay I guess it's just harder to show people your transformation. And, but like when you walk around looking hot, that's just a, a quick snippet and people are after, you know, mm. but, I, but people need to move away from using that as the business card as in uh, the, the prospective clients need to move away from that because people can fall into looking hot or lean just by default of doing enough bad shit that they, they end up there. Like just because you've got a good physique that you're, you look lean, you got muscle doesn't mean you actually know anything about how yeah. you achieve it. Well, actually yeah. Dean and I will flex success. I would say if we were to break down the professions of our clients, the biggest slice of the pie would be other coaches and PTs. We have a lot of clients who are other coaches and PTs and it shocks us how little they know. They look yeah. good because we tell them what to do and we coach them and we teach them things. And with that knowledge, they look better, but I don't know what on earth they're telling their clients. So just because they look good doesn't mean that um, it's because they know something in particular. That's like no put down to uh, every single coach or PT listening. We've got, there's some great ones out there too, but just, you know, occasionally we'll come across mm. Someone who's looking after a book of people and we're just like, what is going on with this? Mm. Well, most yeah. people that end up in our industry started in the industry as an athlete or potentially, you know, they had family that was sporty. So like most people that end up in the industry as a fitness professional probably had some adolescent fitness goals. So again, mm. like you're talking about a group of people that have been in this world for a very long time. So they may not even be the best person for you to talk to. Yeah. yeah. Except yeah, we, did, we did it as well, right? Like I remember giving prescriptions out to clients when I thought I knew about nutrition and I was like, cool, paleo diet, check this out. All right, here's all the foods you can't eat. Here's all the foods you can eat and just go fucking nuts on these foods. They're like, oh, you just pick up butter and eat it. I'm like, 100%, it's paleo. Like, dude, our ancestors did not eat this. Like, you can't touch these foods. I'm telling you, they will make you so sick and you will die. And, you know, they got worse like they got more fat and then you know even clients that i thought i was giving like a keto diet to i realized like no dude that's like a five thousand calorie diet like you can't give that to anyone and they were getting horrible results but you just like learn over time right you just it takes that's why they say a little bit of knowledge is dangerous because you take what you think is right you've heard it on one podcast and you don't get an opportunity to apply it to people and see how it works and you go oh, okay shit that actually doesn't work maybe i should try it. or maybe you only tried it on three people and it worked but if you tried it on 10 people, they were the only three people it worked on and the other yeah. seven people it didn't work on. So I think it just takes time in the industry for you know, people to stick to the prescriptions you, you stick to and you coach them through and you develop your communication skills to eventually be like, okay, this is working. This is not working. And all, that, all that stuff. It just takes time. It takes time. Yeah, yeah. It takes time. People are trying to rush that process and pretending like they know all the answers at 21 and 22 and they've worked with seven clients. It's just, it is a slow process, nutrition. Yeah. I think also the reality we notice is, is that you can't help, but the clients are always going to walk in and just look to the top people in that sort of industry. So I think part of the reason CrossFit was so popular was people would come and be like, oh, I actually really want the physique that CrossFit gives you. But what they mean is like, I looked at the top bodybuilders and that seems like the worst thing ever. I looked at the top powerlifters. They're like obese. Like that's no way I'm doing that. And the CrossFitters generally look really good. You know, they're just like not, they're big, but you know, not, not crazy big. They haven't dieted down for any sort of show. They're like athletic. Um, I think girls and guys, you know, some maybe I think it's a little bit too big, but in general, it's like a really desirable physique, but like, that's just what they have coming in. Obviously a bodybuilder knows how to not let you get all the way to like huge and jacked and ready for a show, but they just clients can't help, but come in and just look to the top and be like, that's what I'm going to end up looking like. Even if it's just like the ambassador for F45, 
I just usually think it's like, oh, I'll probably end up like Mark Wahlberg if I do F45. Mm. Um, Would you guys just, consider F45 CrossFit? No. 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 F45 okay. is, is just like circuit classes. F45 is closer to Les Mills than anything, I would mm. say. Okay. Mm. With yeah. extremely lightweight. Yeah. yeah. But they have their 45 games, guys. <laughs> the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, the playoffs. Is that what they call it? The playoffs. Yeah, they yeah. call it the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, look, F45, uh, F45 went public, actually. Mm. Did you know that? Yep. Uh, do not invest in the stock of F45. It would, it's about to take a huge plummet, I, I predict. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think, F45, <laughs> I think the problem with um, F45 is that obviously any company that gets a certain amount of marketing dollars behind it gets a certain, like a very, very significant influence. And when you have like a, well-being coach like teaching the nutrition programs to a group which is like guys 1800 calories girls 1200 calories eight weeks no caffeine no sugar like uh only greens like only lean meats like no it's just it's silly right it's just it's just a a sure way to continue to make our industry just like churn good people with good intentions well the prescription i i really think they do it not for the clients they do it for themselves they just Put exactly. a crazy low calorie prescription. They try and get crazy before and afters. They don't. They don't really care what happens that much after the eight weeks. Let's get as many good before and afters as we can, and that'll sell the next challenge. Yeah, oh, yeah. which is pretty bad for those people's lives. Yeah, and we've so- had we've had to fix them. We've had to fix people doing F forty five challenges yeah. who were like they got dumped on their ass. They lost ten kilos, and then they didn't know what to do after the diet was over. So they went back to their old lifestyle, and then they're just in this fucking binge restrict cycle, and they come to us not knowing what to do, and then. We have to put a band-aid on mm. it all. I reckon yeah. you can almost like uh, re repackage the fitness fatigue model for this because it's yeah. kind of like that. The fitness industry take principles or protocols, I should say. They apply them so that you just get epic results as quick as possible, but then you burn the fuck out and then you, you bail and then you come back to the fitness industry and you just hit the repeat button. We even um, yeah. we had a client on who had lost 20 kilos under you, please. Yeah. And um, Sammy she had signed up to went to sign up to Weight Watchers or had at one stage. I think it was Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, one of them. And they asked her if she wanted to sign up for a lifetime membership. <laughs> so like if, if you lose... <laughs> I love it, totally makes, it totally makes no sense. Yeah, people, yeah, just, they seem okay with the fact that they're going to lose weight forever. I'm like, I don't think you can lose weight forever. <laughs> Well, you can if you go off and on, off and on, off and on, which is what they they're want basically, you to do. They're, that's what they're, they're, they're hoping for, you know? Yeah. That like that's it's it's yeah it's really bad. It is that whole typical um Luke Lehman's a really cool dude in the industry, very smart fellow. He coined it um the after after pick. That's the sort of one that he always asks for. Like mm. I don't give a fuck about you before and after. Show me your after after. That's mm. the one that shows me the success of the coach and their ability to educate their clients so they can have sustainable change. You know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But I mean, so so your you guys want to retain clients long term, right? Because people need to continuously train. People do not need to continuously diet. It's sort of yeah. a different can of worms. Yeah. So when you probably look at your client life cycles, you want them to be as long as possible. I think for nutrition coaches, which is us, we our client life cycle, if it's as long as possible, we're not doing a good job. What we want to do is we want to bring a client in, help them make the change that they want to change, that, that they want to make, and then teach them how to keep that change long-term and send them off. Like we've had clients that want uh, to keep coaching, but we're like, no, we think it's time that you do this on your own. Now you've got the skills, you've got the result, you know what to do. Mm. And, and we like push them out of the nest. If 
if I can use that yeah. metaphor. Um, yeah. and, and I think nutrition coaches should be adopting the same practices. And you might think, oh, that's a bad business model. But what's actually a bad business model is <laughs> freaking being, it's just immoral maybe is a better way to put I it. I mean, 60% of Australia are obese or overweight. So like, there's plenty of clients out there. <laughs> we can't <laughs> service 12 and a half million people in our lifetime. Then, uh, there's bigger problems yeah. than moving people onwards. Yeah. And people, people will join and stay, um, for different lengths of time, but also they'll, they're, what they're there for is will also change as well. Like I think that one of the things we've noticed is that we, we've surveyed a lot of our clients. I don't know if you guys, um, have you started, picked up John, John Barati's new book, Change Maker? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously know precision nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, John Barati just released his, his, his book after his sold precision nutrition. He's still got 10%, but he sold it for like $200 million. It's probably one of the biggest success stories in the fitness industry to date. Um, at least from a business that traded ethically in the fitness industry, then yeah. That's, yeah What's the book called? Did you say? Uh, Change, Change Maker. Change Maker. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. Mm. Anyway, so one of the things that he goes into is the, uh, he didn't, he didn't um, invent it, but it was invented by I think Harvard professors called the Jobs to be Done Framework. And that framework essentially is um, a, a, a set of questions and a structure to interview your different, your clients at different stages um, in your buying process, whether they, why they signed up, um, why they're doing the program uh, successfully, people that are in the program but not doing it successfully, why people leave. And so you get an understanding where people are in different cycles and what um, state of mind they were in at at each of those stages. And it's something that we're going through at the moment. We're actually learning some very valuable insights because the client that's with you from zero to six months, um, take that same client at um, you know a year and a half to two years. They're with you for a very different reason. They're still doing the same thing, right? They're still showing up three days a week. They're doing training, but why they're there is the critical piece. Because now, um, as a business owner, you want to treat them differently to your other customers. You don't want to keep harping on the same benefits that they came to you for in the first place. They may have lost the weight now. They may have got the pull up. They may have got the handstand walk or whatever that they wanted when they initially came. So you have to understand why they're there now because there are new things that you want to offer them in the businesses, new services to keep them around longer or still speaking positively about your company or potentially you might find out, Hey, maybe it's better that I move this person on onto something else. Maybe I give them an online service. They train by themselves for whatever, or maybe I recommend another gym because maybe they're starting to really turn against your business. And that's something that we noticed as well is like there was a particular person at a point in their life cycle at the gym that started really becoming a negative impact on the gym because the services we offered were no longer for them. And they even thought without knowing it themselves felt like, Oh, you know, I, I'm still want to be at this gym because this is the gym that brought me all these awesome things in the beginning. Well, it's like, actually, no, you've, you've, you don't need us anymore. Like you're ready for something else. You want a new challenge. Like you need a powerlifting gym or whatever. Like that's why you keep complaining about there's not enough strength work in the program. There's, you know, I've got too much conditioning and I'm not getting strong enough. It's like, no, now it's, we're still doing our thing time for you to move on to something else so yeah i think um what you guys are trying to do is awesome but you might have like just random hypothetical scenario you might find you know the client that gets the results at the nine months maybe they need like an education course now that they can learn and they want to pass that education course on to someone else because maybe they don't want to do any more coaching but they want to keep learning and they want to pass on the learnings to someone else so i think there's like a anyone that gets a really good result and is passionate about it still wants to consume the content or the coaching in some form or another. Um, but it's just, it's just different at different stages. 
Yeah. What an awesome segue to what Dean and, work, Dean and I are working on right now. <laughs> so we get lots of coaches come to us and say like, hey, do you uh, do coaching to teach me how to get my clients the result? Because what, um, you know, let's say we take on a client who's a coach. That's not to say that they can be like, okay, this is the diet Lizzie's written for me. I'm just going to give this to all of my clients because it's very individualized to their allergies, to their energy needs, to their medical conditions, blah, blah, blah. So people come to us and say, like, can you teach me like what to do with my clients? And we currently don't have a platform for that, but we're working on, we, we did group coaching for a small period of time and we pulled it down to make some tweaks and adjustments and hopefully we're, well, not hopefully, we are going to release it sometime in the near future. And hopefully it's a great platform for uh, not just, you know, average Joe who has an office job, but also coaches to jump on and, and learn some stuff too, because mm. we're so passionate about education and communicating mm. science um, in an understandable way. So I hope that that platform really does that for people. But it is super true. We even have one-on-one clients that are like, I don't want to leave because I don't want to leave. Not because I need you, but I just don't want to leave because I want to be a part of the crew, you know, the yeah. group, the brand. Um, so, and at those stages, they're generally like, no, maybe you should move to a consultation-based approach because then you yeah. can come in and you can ask questions about education. Whereas your spot currently is designed for somebody who's looking for a particular result. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's so, so true. It even happens in ours, even as our lifestyle lifestyles are shorter. Yeah. How did that client take the suggestions to move on to another gym? You know, it's interesting. I think that when you can, uh, in a situation like that, where you want a particular outcome, but you know, you can't, can't tell that person do it. You just have to ask the right questions to help them reach the conclusion themselves. Uh-huh. So. We didn't get, I didn't get that right with the first client, but over years of just practicing it, then you can ask the right questions of someone so that for themselves, they can discover it might be the best thing. And I think you always go in there and you just put all your cards out on the table and I'll just start these sort of conversations with like, hey, you know, um, you know our business is, is going well. Like it doesn't, it wasn't like how it was when you joined it. We didn't need you. Like we, if you left, like we could potentially close our doors and not pay our staff. We're in a good position now. And so for me, the most important thing that I want for, for us is for you to be happy. And so if you're not happy, if you're not enjoying it, I don't want your money. Like, I don't want you to be here. And so with that being said, and then I'll dive into the questions. I'll be like, you know, what is it that you really want? Why, why do you think you're not happy? Um, what, what results have you gotten recently that you thought you would be happy with, but then as a result, you got them and you weren't happy? Or why do you feel like you need to train five days a week? What's wrong with three days a week? Just stuff like that. And then you help them reach the conclusion that, you know, it's probably not the right gym for them anymore. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, do you guys, because you've got obviously the, the gyms that you're running and the podcast and personal life, do you do coaching as well? Or are you bogged down running a business? Do you mean coaching clients or do we get coaching ourselves? Oh, I mean, do you like do one-on-one PT and run classes? Like, are you a coach in the gyms? Yeah, we, we took ourselves off the schedule um, probably, probably maybe a year ago, which made a really big difference. Uh, because what tends to happen is that when you get busier, then you really start letting down the clients. If, if you're the one that's like still expected to know all their goals and like kind of kidding yourself at some point, you know, like everyone's goal across three different gyms. Um, so it's not the right thing to do by the client. So when it like wasn't the right thing to do, we, we really pulled ourselves out. And usually what you find is you get really, really energetic coaches that um, do an even better job than you. Um, at doing the job. So it's not like nobody else can coach classes and take on clients and support them with their goals and everything like that. So um, we have um, pulled ourselves out of that. And, you know, obviously you still want to stay in touch with it little bits. Uh, but what I tend to see is that if you just do loads of it, it's at the extreme hours of your day. Sometimes it can be tough to 
move the vision um, of where you want to take things much further if you're just still bogged down um, doing that sort of work. Yeah, I think the evolution of your responsibilities is what ultimately will dictate um, how you feel about the coaching role in your business. And what I mean by that is if your responsibilities was your client's goals, like Raf just mentioned, then you're, you will coach like because you're trying to get them to achieve their goals. But when you hire staff members, your responsibility is now, yes, you have to get your client a result like you did in the first place, but now you have to provide an income for this person so that they can put food on the table for themselves. If you work on marketing and bringing more clients to the gym and bringing that coach more work, you tick off both those things. You still have the client reaching their goals and you have the staff member putting food on the table for themselves and paying rent and all this stuff. So if you focused back on step one, which is coaching, you don't take care of responsibility, which is your new staff member. So I think all business owners go through it when they hire their first staff, they get off the coaching floor, they realize, okay, I have more responsibilities now. And it just means you've got to shift your tasks like to a task that goes, okay, am I achieving all these new responsibilities with this new task? And if the answer is no, you need to change the tasks you're doing. I think the problem is most people don't let go of that change. They want to keep coaching the whole time or they're afraid that no one's going to do it as good as them. And yeah, as a result, they ultimately let down the business. Like, look, I don't know. I can't speak for him exactly, but I doubt Bill Gates is still writing the code for the Microsoft operating system. You know, he has other people, better people, better software engineers doing it because he realized, okay, my responsibilities is like, you know, marketing it and like global networking partnerships and upgrading my own education and my view of the world and my ethics because my company is so powerful that, you know, people are hinging on my decisions. I need to make the right decisions for humanity. Now that's obviously an extreme example, but you can see how like there's just like a leveling up process that needs to happen. And I think a lot of coaches and gym owners for whatever reason, because that industry is so young and there's not the best practices yet, they get scared of leveling out of coaching. Or the fact is they just love it so much that they never want to give it up, which is fine. Um, but then you need kind of a workaround to help grow the business. You might need to bring in like a manager that works above you or I don't know, business strategist or something if you still want to do coaching or move it online or something like that. But um, yeah. yeah. And that's such a good point because I... Um have so many PTs in, in my circle and coaches who, you know, there's a PT who pays rent at fitness first and they love being a, a personal trainer and they love seeing, you know, helping their clients and whatever. And one day they have a dream to own their own gym. And that's such a different ball game. And they just think if I own my own gym, I won't have to pay rent and I won't have the same rules and I can wear what I want. No, you will be running a business and you will not be a PT anymore. <laughs> and they also, don't really see the change there. They won't be running a gym that they want to train. You yeah. know, like necessarily, that's another one. People think, oh, I'm going to run this gym. I'm going to have this gym. It's going to be perfect for what I want. Like, yeah, but that's not right want, for your clients. What you want isn't what they want. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. We've talked about that a lot on the show before. Is like <laughs> so many people make the gym that's for them and then they wonder why their high-end clientele that pay them lots of money don't come to the gym because like, you built it for you you're not your fucking high-end clientele driving a bmw wearing a rolex like you got to think what they want right they're wealthy so now that that is definitely a good point and i will say for that book again change maker mm-hmm. anyone that is looking to make some kind of change um in or get into the fitness industry or to make a change in their career they should go through the exercises in that book first before they make any decisions i think that that's like the before it felt like you kind of had to hire like a personal development coach or read all this life stuff and 
get life coaching or something to decide. Like if you just read this book, if you do like the first three chapters, you'll know very clearly what the next steps are for you. I know exactly which clients I'm going to suggest this to right after mm-hmm. this podcast recording. I've got some who want to make some big changes, but are so unsure about some things. So I have this written down in my fancy uh, notepad here and I'm, I might even add it to my next audible book. Um, is it on, on audible? Do you know? It's on audible. I would recommend the hard version. We brought um, a whole box of them for our staff and okay. for us because there's like lots of exercises in the book. All oh, right. Okay. And cool. You want to do the exercises. That's where, a lot of the benefit from the book is. Hmm. Yeah. All right. How many staff per creature got nowadays? Uh, eight. Yeah, nice. Eight full time. Okay. And then you guys now essentially are exclusively just that business owners in regards to the gym and then podcast uh, specialists. Yeah. Gym <laughs> owner by day, podcast by night. <laughs> <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Uh, do you stand there with a cup of coffee, just ordering people around with a wand? <laughs> you there. Um, <laughs> no, we use we use a staff. Raf uses a sword, so like the, the one wasn't doing it. Now we um, uh, I think the 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 really broad, kind of overarching view is like Raf handles all the cash, all the money, all the numbers. So in terms of a a black and white view of the business, Raf's kind of like in the matrix, and then I handle all the strategic and creative directions, so all the marketing, the messaging, um, right. how I want people to feel about the brand, how I want them to speak about the brand, view the brand. So we kind of coming from um, like the kind of the perfect world. I'd say that the, the good thing about our partnership as well is we both can sell. Um, if you listen to a guy, Naval Ravikant, he has a great podcast, but he talks about the ultimate combination of a business partnership is, and this is what the investors in Silicon Valley are told to look for is the builder and uh, the salesman. So essentially you've got someone who can um, like build the thing which is like um, the, for, for us, it would be like the, the business plan, the business model, uh, how the services work, the pricing, Honestly. all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got the other person, which is the salesman, the person that can go out there and they can sell it to anyone. You know, they have the vision, you know, they have the big words and the, the charisma and all that stuff. And I think the, the beautiful part is def, definitely Raph, I think is more of the builder mindset and I'm more of the sales mindset. But we also both possess a little bit of the other skills ourselves, which we've developed, you know, the numbers and stuff aren't as exciting and don't come as naturally to me. But, you know, I work hard with Raf to, to bring some creativity and ideas to the numbers and Raf's worked. Well, I think he's a pretty natural seller, but yeah, working on, um, I think you've, you've openly said, you know, you found podcasting and public speaking quite difficult initially. And that's something you worked on for me. It was always easy. So um, that, that combination, that perfect combination, I think is, has helped just really get to where we are today and we, we really try and lean towards the strengths and um don't work too much on our weaknesses outsource guys hang out on weekends as well as working together no, no. it's better that way okay see because yeah. you guys work together all day long right and then you have your separate social lives it's tough for dean and i who work together all day long and are married as well mm-hmm. <laughs> sucks could, could you imagine being married to Thomas? Man, oh I like sometimes. You know, you say, could you imagine? I'm kind of like, I'm listening to the Lockie talk and I'm like, I sound like a bit like Raph. He sounds a little bit like a girl. I mean, like, girl? like Liz. No. <laughs> You're the yeah. wife of the relationship. I'm more feminine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is true though. Yeah. Even Liz and I, uh, we've, we've been a little bit lazy with this of late, but we uh, reinstated it as of yesterday. And that is that we take a day away from our home office each so that we spend the day working on our own as opposed to working together 24 seven, because it's not good 
I think long-term for anyone that's in a relationship with their partner, both in business and in life to uh, be in each other's pockets 24 mm. seven. Yeah. A hundred percent. We, I don't know who I was actually just speaking about this yesterday. I can't remember who I was speaking about it with. Um, and they were kind of asking me about my relationship with Raph and they go, Oh, so you guys like, you must hang out all the time. You know, you hang out on the weekends, you do this, you know, you do the podcast. And I was like, you know what, when we, when we aren't together, besides like texting each other on WhatsApp or or whatever, we're not like actively trying to hang out. Cause I know I'm like guaranteed to see him all week. And like, if I just saw him again, what do you think we talk about? We just talk about business nonstop. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's fun at the time, but it does get exhausting. Like you want to have conversations about other things and you just want your own downtime where you don't have to think about it or, you know, just interact with a different social circle that just has nothing to do with work. You know, you just yeah. don't feel like you have to say or not say things because, you know, your staff are listening or like, um, mm. you know, your business partner's listening or whatever. Like, it's just nice to be able to speak your mind and know it's not going to have consequences in work. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Our, um, our podcast name, I'm not sure if you boys are aware, is How to Be Less Shit. <laughs> it sounds like that's kind of your how to be less shit as a business owner, I think. Find time to yeah. separate business from, uh, from play and it may be worth having some, some time to yourself. Uh, what would your other tips for how to be less shit be if we're trying to summarize all of the goodies of the podcast? How to be less shit as business owners or just in life in general? Oh, whatever you want. For care. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, I guess as business owners, I was just mentioning having the work-life balance is important. It's the same way. Cause you can feel like you can always be pushing the business forward at, at all times. But, um, the same guy in Naval, he talks about, you know, business owners should work like we were designed to sprint and rest and sprint and rest and to, to work really hard on something and then push it forward and then sit back, relax and look at the results and analyze it before your next big sprint. And so constantly pushing all the time is what inherently not what we're designed to do. So we will tire out a lot faster if we do that. Someone that's trying to work, you know, an 80 hour week nonstop at super high output, it's impossible. It doesn't work but someone who is able to sh take short sprints and work a 20 hour week, but be much more effective, much more focused um, in that period of time is always more effective. People, you know, you can have a day where you wake up at 5am work for about three hours, not do anything the rest of the day and be way more effective than a day where you probably feel like you worked all day for 12 hours, but you didn't move the needle on anything. You were just busy, but nothing got done. And so, yeah. So I think that's, that's just like one thing you have to practice as business owners. You have to practice firstly, letting go of the idea that you can't work all the time and be effective in the same way. It's like, yeah, I could be working on my training, my fitness all the time. I could be doing mobility and standing and jumping and squatting and lifting weights and drinking supplements, but it's not going to work. You're going to get worse. You're going to overtrain and get sick of it. And like, you know, you have to force yourself to recover. And I think it's just the exact same for business. You just like have to work really focused, really intent intently and intensely um, on the right things and then rest and just analyze it and see how it goes like kind of in that recovery stage. Awesome. Mm, that's, that's a great tip. Great advice. Um, a be, be less shit tip may also be don't choose your, your coach or your trainer just based off their six pack and look at their credentials and listen to what they have to say. And the beauty of uh, the 21st century is we've got Instagram and Facebook and we can see what they're, they're saying and what they're, uh, values are mm -hmm. and, and what they're preaching. So maybe look a little deeper than the six pack, although it can be tempting. Yes, yeah. yes, unless you're of course wanting to hire me. <laughs> and, then, and then Dean's got nothing <laughs> going on. <with> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I'll add another one in there. I think, um, I don't think even we talked about it, but just a big thing for me this year was like getting clear and that, that book, I guess is same sort of thing is getting clear on what you want so that you have guardrails to decisions that you make every single day, minor and major that keep you on the path of things that will make you happy. We're fortunate to be in a position where opportunities um, and different paths are coming up every single day and all of them look really awesome and shiny and enticing and you want to jump in and you want to be like, oh yeah, let's go travel there and, and do that seminar or you know, let's, let's sign up with this people or whatever it might be. Having a really clear idea of knowing what you want, which will change obviously over time, but at least for a year stretch, just keeps you on the straight and narrow for what you're ultimately going to do because you could fill your year with all those fun and exciting things and get to the end and be like, wow, that was cool, but I didn't actually achieve what I really wanted, which was my ultimate goal. So just, I think having a clear focus, because yeah, like you said, you jump on Instagram, you see all this cool shit and you're like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go travel here and take these photos. I'm going to film videos like this and I'm going to put out this nutrition content. But if it's got nothing to do with what you ultimately want to do, it's just a waste of time. It's just you like copying other people and not really knowing what you really want. And it's just like something that, think is obviously a massive source of unhappiness for a lot of people these days but just like wasting wasting heaps of people like your own time mm. just like by not knowing what you want right man there's so many parallels to what you just said to people's weight loss goals because we've had people come to us and they're like oh yeah i just want to look good right and that could and what does that really mean just be a haircut get a waist train <laughs> Um, and, and if we narrow down that goal of like, what does success look like and what is the end result, then we can measure the progress along the way, but without actually having that clear goal in mind, like you were just talking about, you can't measure the progress. You don't know what success looks like and why wouldn't we make those goals for mm. business or life relationships, whatever it is. So we can measure the progress along the way and know what success looks like. Yeah. Mm. I think you'd also have people spending less time filling voids and time for the sake of it and fear of not doing what they're supposed to be doing if they actually had those uh, clear barricades up, like you said, and a clear, concise idea of what their goal is, which is mm. awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it's like if they, they also don't, I think if you ask enough questions, you know, ask the right questions, people end up with a different goal anyway. Like you might, they might be like, yeah, I want the six pack, but. I also want to have social weekends all the time and eat pizza and drink. And you're like, okay, what do you want more? Because like <laughs> this, you can't really do any of this, right? You might maybe like once every two, three months, but if you want to make this regular, this is a more realistic goal. So just like have a really hard think about it. What do you really want? Because like the problem is they chase these things. Like we see with our clients, they chase this six pack or they chase this level of performance but they also want to do the drinking. They also want to hang out with friends. They also want to go off their diet or whatever, which is fine, but just don't expect these results. And that's what we had a big chat about with our gyms is like just setting the expectations right for what they're going to get. Like the best coaching we've ever got, what we realized is they just set the expectations in the right place. That's what it is. There's nothing worse than paying money, no matter how big or how small it is. And it just doesn't meet your expectations. That's what it comes down to. Just does the dollar figures irrelevant. It's just, setting the expectations in the right place, I think is just absolutely critical. And a lot of coaches, a lot of PTs, fitness industry in general, just needs to get better at that. And people just like, they just kind of lie because they're insecure or maybe they, they feel like they need the money. But just, if you told someone, I'm just going to lose one kilo a month for a year, like that's a pretty easy task. But 
at least it's a really good place to set the expectations because if they lose two, you're fucking killing it. Yeah. If you set five and you got four, it's like, oh, you failed. It's like, fuck, you know? Yeah. I almost always, whenever somebody gives me a goal, I'm like, but is it really? Like, <laughs> this, most people's goals come with an asterisk. It's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, yeah, but is it really? And you, you ask that question like three times and they're like, ah, actually, no, I do still want to drink on the weekend. I'm like, cool. Now we know where we stand. Let's continue forward. It's so funny when we have initial client consultations with our clients, right, to nut out what their goals are. And um, we definitely outline, okay, if you want to get to that goal, these are the things that you're going to need to sacrifice. Is it still worth it to you? And it's so funny how many people go, yes, absolutely. I'm like 100% on track. My sleep's going to be perfect. My nutrition's going to be perfect. I'm never going to. And I know that's unrealistic. Like they may have the best um, kind of vision for themselves. Well, the best intentions, I should say, but I know that it doesn't work out that way, especially when it's um, Mary with an office job and she's not a professional athlete. Like, mm. you do not want to sacrifice all of these things. So be more realistic, mm. for sure. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. That's an awesome one. Um, shall we move on to our funnies? Why not? I think we don't. We normally do with something worth sharing, but I think you shared some nuggets across the board there. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, going to so. check out that change maker book myself too. Uh, so lightning round first question and you both will have to answer this now if you were to die tomorrow and you knew that you were actually going to die how would you die and why how would I die (laughs) (laughs) so you choose any 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 form of death that's pretty hardcore I think you'd go out something savage is like dying like drowning and burning at the same time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, because then that would put out the fire. I wouldn't die. No, what you could do is you could have like a fishbowl over your head that's like suctioned around your neck. So you're drowning just in this little fishbowl and then the rest of you is on fire. Yeah, but as if you wouldn't just crack that fishbowl, like to put <laughs> yeah. your own body out. Really thick um, glass. Oh, that would be the worst way to die, man. You'd be like, I can stop this from this pain if I could just break this, but I'm also choking. <laughs> is that what you're choosing? Lucky. No, no, no. I would, uh, I would probably, I mean... It's probably how I'm going to go out anyway um, if I have the choice and this will be like on my deathbed, but basically just a heroin overdose. Like obviously give me a few hits so I can like really experience what all the fuss is about. Um, and then like, yeah, just give me like the lethal dose when I've like had enough. Okay. People really do talk it up, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, it just, I mean, obviously it looks horrific in terms of the result afterwards, but I'm sure the experience that person is having before they come back to reality and realize they're a fucked up junkie is like <laughs> incredible, right? It's, no wonder everyone gets addicted to it. It's like probably the best high mm. in the world. So yeah. I would just obviously love to do that. If I was absolutely going to die, why, why the fuck not? You're the third yeah. person to choose a drug overdose. Yeah, there's a lot of drug overdosing individuals getting on this podcast. <laughs> was, heroin, was heroin the choice every time? No. No, just party, just drugs in general. Just party drugs. You're the first one for that specific one. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'll probably say for, me, for the three. three. I would like to. I would like to live a health and fitness, fitness legacy. So maybe like a like a massive workout, make it a, a <laughs> good enjoyable, and then does. and then I would get um, rhabdomyolysis, and I would just keep working out even with the rhabdo. And I'm pretty sure that would eventually kill you. Yeah, uh, your kidneys you, would fail. Yeah, you'd die from that rhabdo. Is slow so. and painful death. Yeah, maybe, but I'd be mad. Hit him with it'd the be heroin. A, it'd be a mad workout during, like on drugs, maybe during the workout, but. Yeah, maybe like a savage quad workout that ends in a lethal dose of uh, rhabdomyolysis. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I don't know, quad extensions till um gone. How? Quad extensions how to this is good. We've got ex CrossFit box owner Raf Friedman dying from rhabdo. <laughs> 
by choice, not not by poor programming. <laughs> we'll have to make that asterisk real quick. But isn't that how all CrossFitters would die by rabdo rap? It's because yeah, they're just going to the tombstone. I told you that with too many reps. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll put that on your gravestone by choice uh, by poor programming. Yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Could you imagine? That would be the best. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, well, no, question number two is, uh, what is something about you that people don't know? Mm. We have done like 600 episodes. We have told people a lot of shit. About <laughs> us. Um, actually, that nobody knows or like that the broader social digital world doesn't really know? Yeah, the broader social digital world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I get my hair cut every 10 days. What? Freaks a lot of people out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it and if it if I don't get it like honestly past the 10 days 11 12 days like I don't know if it's a psychological thing I'm almost certain it is but my head starts to get really itchy <laughs> like like irritating like it gets to this length that's like past 10 days that we've me and my barber have discovered and it's like irritates the shit out of me like, I can't did I get even... your barbers put some shit on there because you make, <laughs> make so much money out of you <laughs> it's, it's probably to do with um it's it's, I reckon it's way less to do with the look because I don't hate the look at that point. But at this 10 day, at 12 day mark, my head is like itchy, like burning itchy. Um, not all the time, but just like I'll find myself scratching it furiously. So I don't know, maybe like decondition my skin to like be past a certain length of hair follicle and it's just making it really itchy. But yeah, I have to get it cut every 10 days or it's like pissing me off. Interesting. It's like beard head, basically. Like you ever try to grow a beard out? There's a point in time where it's just the worst, and then like, you jump over the you jump over the hurdle and then it disappears. Can you grow a beard as an Asian, Lucky? No, no, I can't. So I I can't relate. Can but. you just get like those long Asian hairs? You know, like just the one single thick hair that you can get. <laughs> That's the other thing. The mole hair. About him. Yeah, no, I, I can't even do that. Unfortunately, I'll be, oh, yeah, I'll be, he just needs I've to describe as a dolphin. You see, to talk to Broderick again. He'll sort you out with some hair growth. <laughs> I hope no one knows what that that means. Um, yeah. Only on the back. Raf, what's yours? Mm, this is a tough one. Um, I would say, I guess I never talked about it. I I didn't know how to ride a bike until I was twenty. Three. I learned when I went to Amsterdam because you have oh. to ride a bike. Everybody rides bikes yeah. there, so it was like trial by fire. Um, so I learned how to ride, and now I ride a bike like every day. Um, but I didn't actually learn till then. We why not? Because you live in an apartment or something. Why did I not ride or why did I learn to ride? Why did you not learn to ride when you were younger? Um, my dad's brother passed away and got hit by a bike when he was like 14. And I think no, he no, was like... He, he was on a bike. He got hit by a car. Yeah, yeah. He got hit by a car. Sorry. My dad's yeah. brother got hit by a car. And I think like the whole family was like, you never rode a bike. So like the grandparents didn't want to uh, hear about you riding a bike. No one wanted to hear about riding bikes. We just No one rode a bike. That's way more tragic of an answer than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I was but not uh, expecting that. Not a bad place to learn how to ride, though. Amsterdam's crazy, man. Like, there's fucking people in cars and bikes everywhere. So. Everywhere. But the thing, and, and nobody wears a helmet. Like, I put on a helmet. I was the laughing stock. <laughs> like, laughing. Like, nobody. Wear, like, grandmas, no one. They were just like, like, you're like, you going to the moon? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? You're on a bike. You don't need a helmet. And, uh, but it's a great experience. You know, what's crazy there is the level of fitness you do maintain when you have to ride a bike. Cause you'll see like, you know, I don't know, like a 77 year old or eight, like you really see like old women, like old women that you would just never see in the Western world doing any form of exercise, um, riding a bike, you know, just to get around. I, I presume they just have done that their entire life. 
Yeah. Yeah. Coordination actually would be a really interesting one because that's one of the biggest detriments to aging. So it'd be actually really interesting mm. to see what they're like when they walk around too. You know what's not a good time in Amsterdam? Eating way too much edible marijuana and then trying to cross the street amongst all of these moving bikes. That is not, uh, I would not recommend that to anyone. <laughs> I heard that if you, if you eat sushi, like Japanese food, after the heavy dose, it's like, we doesn't that. No. We went no, to no, all. I'm told me the story. I'm just referencing the joke. <laughs> oh, <back. laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, I actually, uh, I don't think when we told you about that story, Lockie, was um, I did them, I went because I was interested in the numbers. I went and looked in like average THC percentages for like different strains of marijuana in America and whatnot, right? And then I looked and then I remembered that the, the cake that we had was one gram per cake of, of actual marijuana. And by the time that I worked out the maths of it, I'm like, no wonder we got fucked up because <laughs> on, this, on this website, admittedly it was one, it said something along the lines of like um, at 70, how was it? Uh, yeah, 70 milligrams, you're starting to get into the kind of like, you're an advanced user, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so at worst case, I worked out that Liz and I had had 90 each. That's at worst case for like the weakest strain. And I'm at 60 kilos. So right. it's like a lot for but, me. But at best, at well, that's probably at best case, I should say. At worst case, yeah, we yeah. had up to 150 in a single oh. dose as two individuals who had never, ever done it before. <laughs> and we wonder why we were so busted. Uh, no. The perfect one. dose for most people, I'd say, is somewhere between like 5 to 10 milligrams. Yeah. Not 120? Yeah. <laughs> 120 yeah, that's like we probably stoned for like three days we had we had half a gram of weed each yeah we were staying uh we were we rented an, a room in some guy's house just airbnb lovely guy hey res if you're listening from amsterdam oh. probably not um and he was very chatty and so we we eventually made it home um and i i didn't want nutella i needed nutella right i was just like i need nutella right now but i know if i go into the kitchen i'm going to bump into our host who's going to chat to me and i'm in no state to hold a conversation right now but i needed this nutella so badly that i went in there anyways and he said something to me and you know when you don't know what someone said you can only ask him like two or three times before you just have to laugh so he said something and i was like what and he said it like three times and i went ah, and just backed away with my nutella jar <laughs> <laughs> it's just far it's too like, oh, she, she ate the brownies yeah she's fucked up and <laughs> and we went home and we watched breaking bad yeah <laughs> listen see hadn't seen it yet but yeah anyway you watch breaking bad stoned yeah yeah okay interesting yeah. how was that experience was okay. it apparently were you paranoid <laughs> no, I'd already watched it, so I like was sort of like just happy that Liz had gotten into the the series because she's not much of a TV series watcher, and yeah. um, neither am I. But I'm like Breaking Bad's good, but it's five six series whatever it was, so you got to commit, you know. So we decided to start yeah. while in Europe. It was good, and it was a good time. It was good. All right. All right, I've decided to go at it. So we've got all of the cards. These are the Would You Rather cards, boys. Who's gonna go yeah. first? Uh, Raph, ah. you're up. Would you rather have Cheeto fingers for the rest of your life, or okay. Have popcorn kernels stuck between your teeth for the rest of your life? Like Cheetos on your fingers? Yeah, like I guess Cheeto so. dust? Yeah, yeah. Cheetos oh. fingers. Well, just as it, yeah. does, it doesn't really say. We can make up the rules, I guess. I'm no, but Cheeto fingers, Cheeto fingers is like a saying for like nerds. It's like, oh, fuck you, Cheeto fingers. It's like, you're just a nerd, a fat nerd that just sits there and like eats Cheetos. I've never all heard that before, but I mean, yeah, it's an American thing. Yeah, yeah. I assume that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's go with that. Just Cheeto dust. Probably the Cheeto fingers. Like I think Cheeto fingers, that type of person's having a bit of a comeback. Like, you know, because the those technology programmers, they make they command like the best salaries these days. 
If you're like, yeah, dude, like all I do is I sit in front of a computer. I like can run the computer with my eyes closed. You're like, okay, cool. Here's like $300,000 a year entry level. That's like the job everyone wants. So people like the superstars now. So That's a delicious go. way to live. I must say I would be sucking on those fingers all day. Sounded rash real, fingers? Real, yeah, rash. That sounded real sexual. Well, like if I had to. <laughs> Interesting. All right, Lockie. Would you rather have diarrhea for the rest of your life or eat a huge bowl of your own runny shit once and make it stop? <laughs> You've picked a doozy, mate. I'm, I apologise. I don't. Yeah, this is... Uh... So diarrhea for the rest of your life or eat a bowl of your own runny poo once and make it stop. I'm going to have to ask a follow-up question. How big is the bowl? Uh, so part of this game actually is you get asked as many follow-up questions prior to making the answer, but you can't change thereafter. Uh, I'm going to say that we're talking about a nice little human hand-sized bowl. So just picture that being cupped for those that are uh, it's full. listening and not watching. Yeah. It's a full hand, double hand bowl. Call it like 500 grams. Mm. Like, a, yeah, like oh. an udon soup bowl from Sushi Train. Mm. Okay. Well, look, I definitely know people in my life that live with diarrhea every single day because they choose horrific diets for ethical <laughs> reasons. You can yeah. probably guess what type of diet it is. Um, so it's not impossible. Uh, but the fact that I couldn't change to a normal diet and get rid of it would be uh, pretty scary. So I think that I would, as long as it's, yeah, it's that small size. It's like what I can do is just I'll probably spend a few days practicing like uh, like sculling techniques oh. and then just like hold the nose and just like put it down so quick that it doesn't even touch my tongue. Like just instant, it would just go from bold to back of my throat to the stomach. And Look, I'm thinking of some logistical nightmares there. Because the oh, bowl is obviously quite wide. So if you're pouring it into your mouth, it's going to be falling on your face. That's all right. That's so, all right. No, you've got to right. eat it all though. There's none allowed on the yeah. ground. I that feel- means you've got to clean the face like a windscreen wiper with your finger. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's a shame you didn't ask these questions prior, Lockie, because I would have allowed like a bubble tea straw if you wanted to engage with one, but oh. you chose not to. So you went for the bowl to the mouth. <laughs> and I you also have popcorn diarrhea for the rest of my life. I can't believe that everyone, have- everyone around you would be encouraging you like dude I'm sick of it like just have the bowl <laughs> imagine if you dealt with yeah. it for years and then decided to to drink it yeah you probably yeah. you procrastinate for like a year and then you just start staring at it and just go fuck it put it on in your finger Ugh. Can't do it yet. Oh, you you probably have to get me to the point where I'm so sick of having daily diarrhea that it's just there's no choice. Yeah. Daily diarrhea would be a problem. Yeah, it would be. Um, I mean, if you could control it and it was just another epic like once a day and it wasn't like, oh my god, I need to go to the toilet, that wouldn't be so bad. It's not very sexy though if you've got one bathroom in your apartment and you're with a partner. See, all um, questions that need to be asked before you answer. But anyways, moving on. If people wanted to uh find you guys or listen to you guys or read your stuff, where would they find you? Yeah, the Instagram at the Mind Muscle Project is the best place to find everything because it tags um, our personal profiles there. You can check it out. It's got the website there. You can check it out. And then, yeah, we've got on our personal bars, we've got links to our gyms as well, if people are interested. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Love it. Uh, yeah. And staying up to date with Flex, we have our research review, obviously. So every second week, we release a new review of the latest research so we can communicate science effectively mm-hmm. to anyone wanting to stay up to date with that. Uh, we do our consultations, one-on-one coaching. We've got our book, Life After Dieting, for anyone trying to maintain the weight they've lost without being so meticulous. Um, and check us out on Instagram and Facebook as well. Flex underscore success, I believe, I on Insta is our true. handle. Thank you for your time, boys.
Thank you for, Thanks having, for us. having us. It's a pleasure. Have you enjoyed yourself as much as we did? Yeah, it's been lots of fun. <laughs> that sounds sexual again. <laughs> was it as good for you as it was for us? <laughs> <laughs> All right, until next time. <laughs>